passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome into the Otson Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel on the show. As always, thank you for listening to the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, whatever you do to listen to shows. Thank you for checking us out there. Make sure to hit that like and subscribe button on YouTube as well. Uh, we're uploading these shows onto YouTube and, and pieces. So it's always a good time for you to be following us on podcasts, following us on YouTube, and most importantly, go to DuckTerritory.com and check our workout in full coverage on DuckTerritory.com. You can also go onto the message board, join an active, awesome community there, and you can sign up for as low as just $1 for your first month. So make sure to jump in on that. All right, Eric, uh, on today's podcast, we are going to be discussing some of the biggest questions that you proposed outside of spring football. You know, we've wrapped up spring ball and we've gotten some answers to some questions, but I think some new questions have also come up with this program from a good and I don't necessarily want to say a bad perspective, but it, it, it are things it are things that are, you're like, okay, where do we sit here? Where, where are things sitting and are they okay? Yeah, no question. I think you leave spring feeling pretty good. I mean, I think we've, we've now done enough podcasts and written enough things that people know that I think we're pretty optimistic with this team and this right. roster and the upside, but there are obviously still a lot of things we don't know. And, and you can't take too much from a spring game, especially given the way this spring has gone. So, um, you know, I think we feel really good about like the big picture, but I think yeah. the small picture stuff, there's still some things that need to come into clarity before we feel like really, really good. And the confidence level surges. Let's jump in. The first question um, you proposed was which freshman will challenge Anthony Brown and who is the long-term QB? Um, The freshmen, there's a trio of them. There are guys that are returning for their second true freshman year in 2021. And that would be Jay Butterfield and Robbie Ashford, two guys that now have a full year in the system. And then there, the third guy is the newest uh, freshman on the team, true freshman, uh, Ty Thompson, who joined the football program in the spring, took part in all 15 spring practices. And there's, I, I think it, there's kind of a flavor of the week. Uh, you, you probably asked if you got truth serum from Mario Crystal Ball at three different points in spring ball, you probably got three different answers of who the, the top freshman uh, of those three guys is, you know, Jay Butterfield had his moments. Robbie Ashford had his moments and certainly Ty Thompson had his moments, but you probably got, you probably could get different answers at different points in over that 15 spring period, which opens up the door. Who challenges Anthony Brown? Because 
Crystal Ball has been very adamant and has been uh, forthright in saying that Anthony Brown is the, is the number one. He entered spring as the number one. He left spring as the number one. And he goes into the full offseason now with the expectation of competing and trying to keep that number one title. And so let's answer that first part first. Um, who, which of these three freshmen maybe rises up to the top and challenges Anthony Brown the most? Um, I've got an answer, Eric, but I want to hear yours first. I, I, first off, like it's also possible no one like really challenges him much more than what we saw in the spring. And, and Anthony Brown is pretty clearly your starter. I and mean, he took every first team rep in, in during spring. And you don't traditionally do that with somebody that when the competition's like wide, wide open. Like, I, right. I think with this competition's open for sure. Like I don't think Cristobal has closed the door on this, but like I also think it's probably pretty probable that uh, that we see Anthony Brown day one. So, but like in terms of who, I you know again, there's we're limited number of reps, but I, I feel like Jay Butterfield was the yeah. guy was probably most impressed with during the scrimmage, and I probably think he's the most ready and available to to help right away. Um, that also doesn't make him the answer to the second question about who is a long term quarterback. But if I'm thinking of the guy right now, I feel most confident rising and emerging as, as Anthony Brown's biggest uh, challenger to start, I think I take Jay Butterfield just based upon the polish, how polished he looked throwing the football down the field and some of the decisions he made um, not to dismiss the other guys. I just thought he probably looked the best of the three during the spring game. I would agree with you. Um, Jay Butterfield, if I had to make a choice would be the guy I would pick as of today in mid May. I think if I, could have a fourth option like you and what you brought up. I don't think there will be a guy that significantly challenges Anthony Brown throughout the 2021 football season. Doesn't mean we won't see one of these freshmen play shoot. It wouldn't surprise me if one of these freshmen starts a game in 2021, but that's only because of injury. I, I think if Anthony Brown stays healthy throughout the entire course of the season and the, the year does, doesn't fall off a cliff, I'm prepared to see Oregon roll out Anthony Brown 13 times during the regular season and then try and see where they land uh, and if they made the college football playoff and do they have two more games or did they make a New Year's Six Bowl game and they've got one more game. Um, I I think that's kind of where I would lie. But if I had to pick somebody and I was forced to pick one person, uh, it it would be Jay Butterfield. I, I think he was probably the most consistent in the two practices that we watched. I also don't think, though, Eric, that he maybe has the highest ceiling um, yeah. of the three freshmen. Um, I, I, and that's kind of a weird thing to say because he is a freshman. I think he has a ton of potential. I think he could grow into uh, an all-conference caliber receiver or receiver quarterback and be a guy that, you know, has NFL potential. But I don't think he is the guy that's got the highest potential of that trio. And I, and I look at Ty Thompson being the one that may have the best potential out of everybody because I feel like he's got the best arm. Uh, he's got probably the best physical attributes. He certainly looks physically different than all the other quarterbacks, even Anthony Brown included. I think Ty Thompson – looks the part of a D1 quarterback right now. Um, I think it's just he's adjusting to the game of football at the the collegiate level where the windows are tighter, they close quicker, and the progressions have to happen faster. 
and the arm strength needs to be there the entire time. Um, and it's a matter of, for me, for Ty, how quickly does that light, you know, switch turn on for him? And is it going to be six months where maybe at the end of the year, he emerges as that number two guy, or is it going to be 18 months where, you know, he goes into maybe next off season in a, a clear cut battle trying to win the job. And I'll play a little devil's advocate and just insert Robbie Ashford's name yeah. into the mix here for like the long-term guy. I probably agree that Ty Thompson maybe has the highest ceiling of the group, but like, I also see a world where like Robbie Ashford as a passer was better than I thought he would be. Yes. Um, I, I thought the arm was a little bit more impressive, especially going down, down the field. And I want to see what he can do underneath. And I think that was probably an area he had the most difficulty, but his ability to run the football. I know we didn't get to see it in totality, but we saw a couple of times when he just took off, like he's, he's definitely the best athlete of the, of the four guys in terms of just tuck it and run. And I think with the way Jamal had wants to run a lot of RPO, he wants the quarterback to be able to run. I think we feel, I feel best about Robbie Ashford as a runner than I do about anybody else as a runner. And you combine that with maybe, maybe some arm strength stuff that I wasn't expecting. And I kind of think like, do I think Ty Thompson's probably, got a higher ceiling. Yeah. But like, I just at least want to acknowledge that like I could see a scenario, Robbie Ashford ends up being a really dynamic dual threat quarterback where the passing stuff is probably not quite where it would be with a Ty Thompson or a Jay Butterfield, but where the running stuff could be just significantly more impressive. And, and that's the fun part for, for Joe Moorhead. I think all three of these young quarterbacks are different in what they do and what they could provide. And if you're thinking about the offense long-term, you can probably you probably have to think about it in a couple of different ways. It's not just who can throw the ball the most effectively. Mm-hmm. I think Ashford's ability to run his legs, that's probably going to factor into something at some point. Let's end it with this. Would you agree that the health of this quarterback room from like a roster management perspective is maybe as good as it's ever been in the last four or five years? Because for at least when Herbert was here, his freshman year, was backing up Dakota Prukop to start the year, but no one really felt like Dakota yeah. was this all world guy. Once we got to, to see him play in person. Um, and then behind, you know, Dakota was a solid number two, but behind him, there was really nothing out there from a talent perspective at the quarterback room. Um, Herbert's sophomore season, there was Braxton Burmeister. And I, I don't think duck fans need to go down that rabbit hole very much. Then the following year, it was a, it was a, a Burmeister again with Tyler Shuck and um, Tyler Shuck was a guy that was, was as a freshman was okay. You felt like he was probably the long-term solution, but he felt like he was also a year or two away from really going to that spot. And then in 2019, we saw a team where it was like, Herbert's the guy we think Shuck's good enough to, to man the show, but we never really saw, you know, Shuck play. And then in 2020, um, Shuck started every single game for Oregon. Um, we didn't really know what Jay Butterfield could do. We didn't really know what Robbie Ashford could do. Anthony Brown played very little minutes uh, of that season. And, I mean, even go back a, a little bit further back, Vernon Adams is year. You know, it was Vernon Adams and – Jeff Lockie, and then it was Marcus Mariota and Jeff Lockie. And you don't want to throw those guys under the bus, but it really feels like for the first time in since maybe a year in which Costa, Darren Thomas, and I think Marcus was on the team, um, you felt like you had three legitimate 
or more Pac-12 caliber guys at quarterback. I think that's a really good point. And I don't know if I'd put that all together in my head of just, I mean, I should have because I just spent the last week putting together the history of Oregon starting quarterback since 2000. And you look through it and it was pretty interesting looking at it, just how often they would have a, a battle between two guys and maybe one guy wins the job, but the other guy ends up being a long-term guy. You saw that with like Jason Fife and Kellen Clemens right. and Dennis Dixon and Kellen Clemens and Darren, you know, Darren Thomas ends up winning the job after the, all the, and then all, of course the Nate Costa that off season and Justin Roper ends up starting, but then he gets knocked out. And so there was, there was a run there in the, you know, the late two thousands into the mid 2010s where Oregon always had two or three quality guys. Yep. And then you look at, you're right. After Vernon Adams took over in 2015, the best, like the caliber of the backup quarterbacks seems to just fall off a cliff. And it seems like they either had one really good quarterback and no one good behind him, or they just didn't have a very good quarterback, um, which was the case probably when Justin Herbert filled in as a freshman. Not that he was bad, but I mean, he's a true freshman starting when he shouldn't be starting. If you right. had to develop the position better, you'd be in a better spot. So like, I think that's a really astute observation in terms of like, this is the healthiest. I think this position's been probably close to like a decade. And that should make you really excited about the direction it's going. Um, I think especially given the fact that we've already seen Oregon go out and get a commitment from Tanner Bailey yeah. um, in, in this class and just kind of the thought that these guys are all really young and you might lose a couple of them to transfer. But the, I mean, I wouldn't, I would really anticipate that Oregon's long-term quarterback is on the roster right now. And that just really hasn't been a thing. We've thought that often in the past. I know we thought Chuck was the guy, but it turned out he wasn't. And before that, I can't really think of a time where we're like, oh, Oregon's got this guy waiting in the wings. And, you know, since like maybe Justin Herbert or Marcus Mariota. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. Next question that we want to discuss, and Eric's got a whole bunch more on duckterritory.com. So make sure to go read that full story for the full scope of things. But we're going to discuss some of the the top questions and some of the ones that we found the most interesting. Um, Next question on the list here is, who are the starting three receivers for Oregon in 2021? And then we're going to also throw in another one into this mix. Will a top dog emerge at tight end or will it be uh, by a committee approach? Um, it was kind of a by a committee approach during the 2020 football season from a tight end perspective. Um, receiver was kind of uh, uh, who was available to play in this game and didn't wasn't in COVID protocol was kind of the 2020 perspective from a look at, at receiver, um, Eric. But I, I look at the receiver spot, and I'm, I want to pencil in Johnny Johnson, Jalen Red, and then Micah Pittman as kind of your go-to three starting receivers. But I put them in pencil because I wonder just can, can a Dante Thornton or a Devin Williams or a Troy Franklin uh, or a Chris Hudson – can one of these guys make me flip the pencil upside down and erase a guy and put him into the lineup? I think that's how you approach the entire year because I look at the receivers and think they've got three bonafide guys that are proven. You, you like what you've got in that group, but the talent coming up through the ranks from the younger classmen uh, is pretty darn good. And it's going to be a case in which I think, between Pittman, Johnson, and Red, two of those three will probably start every week. But it wouldn't surprise me if one of those guys comes off the bench every other game, every game, and that and, and that that the, the the guy that comes off kind of changes week to week just because a Franklin is practicing better and it's getting better and better, or a Devin Williams is taking that next step 
I think that's where we might see a by a committee approach or shoot. We might even see four starters at times. Well, I was just going to say like, to me, I, I don't know if I just dis- distinguish Devin Williams from that first three. Like I kind of think really? right now I'm, I'm like, it's kind of four guys and you got to figure out your third. And the, this, the hard part of it is that Jalen red missed like everything we saw in spring. And of course we didn't see much, but he was out with a foot injury. And so like, we don't know exactly what his role is going to be and if, like in kind of what that competition looks like. I think he's going to be the starting slot, but Pittman looked fine in that position in the spring game. And like, I didn't hate the combination of Devin Williams and Johnny Johnson out wide and Micah Pittman in the slot. In fact, I kind of liked it. And I kind of thought maybe that would be the direction you could go long-term or at least this season. Um, but then you're also taking Jalen right off the field and I don't want to right. diminish what he's done. So, I mean, it's tough. It's going to be really difficult to kind of pick this, to put this together. Like, I, I do think it's four guys fighting for three starting spots. And then I think you do have Chris Hudson and Dante Thornton and, uh, you know, Troy Franklin and a couple other guys, maybe a Josh Delgado, who are kind of right there in that next group, you know, battling to be in that top six receiving group, you know? So, I, I mean, I think, I think Devin Williams is really talented and he had the two best single receiving games of last season. He's the only guy who had a hundred yard game all of last year. He had two of them back to back before he got injured himself. So, I think the thing that is, is kind of wild with this group is that we feel like Red and, and Johnson and Pittman probably are the starters just because yeah. that was what they started last year. But last year, they, there were very few games where they had all four of those guys available. And when those guys were available, it was kind of like pick and choose from in terms of the starters. So um, it's kind of tough. It's going to be interesting to see. Like My money would probably be on the three you said, but like I wouldn't count out Devin Williams right. playing on the outside. I mean, he's really talented, and we've seen it time and time again. Um, the, the capable of, you know, the, the caliber player he's capable of being for this team. I almost think there's a better chance, Eric, that we see four receiver sets than a locked in game one to game 13 starter at tight end. To well, segue a- to that next group, I think we're going to see a committee approach to tight end. And it's because it's clearly there's a ton of talent and there's so much of it that it's going to be a basically a fight every week to start and it's going to be a rotation who had the best week. Okay. You start. And the crazy thing is I could see them. We just talked about how it's going to be hard to keep four wide receivers off the field. I think it's going to be tough to keep two tight ends off the field at times. I mean, I think the talent's there, Um, but I probably, I probably agree with you. I don't think it was really clear during the spring, at least who it was. And again, another injury kind of foggy, the the whole thing, because DJ Johnson, DJ Johnson didn't participate. I don't think he participated at all in spring. Not not from what we saw, you know, maybe he got knocked out early. And it's one of the things that makes it difficult of of us not being able to watch and Mario being pretty tight lipped with the availability of guys, you know, he was simply unavailable. And that was the case all spring. So like, we came into spring thinking he might be the number one guy. He didn't take part in anything we saw. So it's like kind of hard to a lot of ground that he gained in in 2020 has been caught up by the guys behind him. That's kind of where I'm at. And so like, if you go into this thinking it's Spencer Webb, DJ Johnson, Patrick Herbert, and then you got the two true freshmen. I I think I kind of agree that probably not going to be at least to start the season as simple as, you know, we've got Jacob Breland. He's our top guy. Or even last year, we've got Hunter Cantmore. He's going to be our top guy. I, I think this could be something where maybe it, Maybe eventually it settles in on player X being the long-term guy, but for at least the first half of the season, I bet this is going to be really, really tight rep-wise. And, and again, I think you're going to see a, a lot of variety of personnel packages because I think you could yeah. see times where they're going to want four wideouts out there and times where they're going to want two tight ends and maybe times where they want a couple running backs. So, And shoot, with all the quarterbacks they've got, maybe they're going to want to run up a couple of those out there too. So I mean, I think the, Joe Moorhead's got a lot of different options to play around with from a personnel perspective. Yeah, I think you look at – you hit the nail on the head there. We're going to see a ton of – rotation we're going to see a ton of personnel packages and i think 
probably from the ideal scenario in which you can do a little bit of everything is that two tight ends, like you said, kind of emerge. And one of those tight ends can be an inline on-field blocker and the second really, really good and then be a, a, a good option in the passing game. And then another tight end emerges kind of as a slot guy that can be out in the, in the field catching passes and be really good there, but then also be a really good in, in-line blocker at the line of scrimmage so that you go into a scenario where, okay, you've got Spencer Webb and Patrick Herbert on the field at one time with Devin Williams and Micah Pittman at, at receiver, let's say. And all of a sudden um, they go four wide. And you've got four, you've got four guys that are capable of doing it all. And then the very next play, or they do that for two or three plays, and you bring in some you, you bring in some more DBs to deal with the passing and, and the attack that they're going there. And you mentioned Travis Dye out of the backfield. But then all of a sudden they don't do any substitutions, but now they go two tight end sets and they just you know ground and pound you because you've got six DBs out on the football field. That's probably the ideal scenario. Um, but I, but you're right. Like they've got a ton of options that they can run through, and I I, I think it's be by committee at tight end um, and at receiver. I, you you convinced me. There's four guys fighting for three right now, and it might be a case in which you know, Devin Williams might be the the most proven big play guy. He, he might he might put himself in a position where he has to play, and then you have to make that difficult decision of. Okay, between Johnny Johnson, Jalen Red, and, and Micah Pittman, one of them doesn't get the start, and that's probably an awesome problem to have. If <laughs> yeah, no kidding, <laughs> if you're the Oregon coaching staff. All right, next question that we're going to look at here is: uh, Will Justin Flo truly challenge Isaac Slade Matuatia at will linebacker spot? Um, and Eric, you've you caught something that completely flew over my head. Uh, and now it's made a ton of sense ever since um, when Isaac Slade Matuatia said that people don't really realize how much the younger linebackers are pushing the veteran guys in this group. Yeah, no, he said that last week or no, about, sorry, two weeks ago, but right before the spring game. And I think I, I thought, okay, interesting. I think he's just trying to be complimentary of the young guys, but then you watch Justin flow out there for the spring game and you come away going like, yeah, yeah. Like, I think Isaac Slade might have his handful, you know, and, and, and again, I don't want to read too much from it. And I think I still expect, I still, um, I had the two deep up on the site, the predicted two deep a couple of days ago. And, and, you know, I still have Isaac Slade not to you with the first team, but I, I think Justin Flo is going to make this more of a competition than we thought. And that's significant. Isaac Slade might to is a two-year starter. He was co-leader in tackles last year with Noah Sewell. Um, this is a, very, you know, a, a developed player. This is a leader on defense and to have that job, just kind of like what we were talking about with Devin Williams, maybe challenging a, a Jalen Red or a Johnny Johnson. The young players on this team are developing at a rate and are, are that caliber when they're arriving that they really do challenge the veteran guys. And maybe a couple of starters lose their jobs and maybe it's a guy like a Jalen Red or a Johnny Johnson at receiver loses out to a Devin Williams at receiver. And maybe it's a guy like you know, Isaac Slade Matawatia eventually losing out to a Justin Flo. I'm not predicting that's going to happen immediately, but like, I also think you just have to be honest. And Justin Flo is a really, really talented dude. And he, in theory, because of eligibility, could leave after the 2022 season. And I think you would hate it if, if, if you had one season of him really having a big impact. I think you want to maximize that time. And of course, he has to prove it. But like, boy, the early returns from one spring game, that, that guy can play. 
I'm I'm starting to come around to this idea that it might be a case of where we're repeating ourselves from last year at the receiver spot to what we're now going to say with flow. And that I, part of me is starting to open up to the idea that Isaac Slade, Matsuotia opens the year as the team starting linebacker, but maybe doesn't finish the year as the team's starting inside linebacker because flow from a physical standpoint if you checked off all the, you, know, you listed out all the attributes you needed at inside linebacker, and then you, you compared flow and Isaac Slade Matuati, flow probably gets every single one from like yeah. size, speed, strength, athleticism, everything from a physical standpoint, flow probably gets that box. And where Isaac right now, from our perspective at least, is ahead of the curve is everything that is. Uh, a teachable thing, a learnable thing, you know, understanding the playbook, un, you know, diagnosing plays, you know, being a, the leader, you know, being a guy that can get your team locked in and in position and your alignments are all correctly and, and fundamentally tackling and skills of that nature of, of your position, like things that you can learn. That's where Isaac's above flow right now. And the, it's going to come down to, I guess, how wide of a gap is that? And how quickly can flow um, close the gap in terms of understanding coverages, diagnosing the offensive sets, and you know being that that inside guy that helps lock in every position and whatnot. Um, that those are the the, the the skills and the attributes that flow is going to have to make up, and that basically comes through reps, comes exactly. through experience, yeah. and as he gets more and more of that, the gap is going to shrink. So I'm I'm. I'm not there yet to, to say it's a, it's going to happen, but I think Isaac starts the year and there's a, there's a scenario that I see where he doesn't finish the year as a starter, which to me is mind blowing because I'm, I'm a huge Isaac Slade Matuatia fan. I think he's really good NFL good. I think we're going to see really quickly kind of what the thought process is of this position. Like if game one and two, we see a lot of Justin flow. And even with Slade Matatia starting, I think that's to me would indicate that they want him to have a big role on this defense. They share it. it. Yeah. Like they're kind of sharing it early. And like you said, the thing that what does, you know, distances or distinguishes the two from each other is really just game reps at this point, because like you, I need to do a good job running through it. Like physically, like, I don't think it's really much of a question. I mean, I, I think pretty much the casual fan can look at the two standing next to each other and be like, that guy looks more impressive. And then you go watch a minute and a half of highlights and you probably are like, that guy looks more impressive too. So it, but, but, but the part of it that gets lost on the average fan and that we have to also, the two of us remember is that it was a spring game and right. a lot of linebacker is, you know, is not just the physical stuff. A ton of it's mental. It's getting set up in the right spot. It's making calls because that's the position where you're making the calls is, you know, you know, those two inside linebacker spots. Um, you know, it's doing that. It's, it's also just reading and reacting to what's happening on the field and, and being, you know, studied enough with what the other team is doing. So if, if those areas continue to lag behind, then Justin Flo doesn't get a, probably shouldn't be playing over Isaac, said not to you, regardless of how physically gifted, but if the other parts even out, and I think that only happens over snaps. Yeah. And so maybe we get four to five games into the season and it's like, okay, Flo is starting to figure it out and get the snaps. I, I don't doubt at all that between Ken Wilson and Tim DeRuder and the rest of that staff, they're going to be having some tough conversations about like, boy, 
ISM's a team leader. Everybody respects this guy, but is it not time that we at least give this give Flo, you know, the, the majority of the reps? And that's tough for Isaac Slay, not to idea, because I think he's got an NFL upside. But this is what happens when you recruit at this level, and and I don't, I can't guarantee it. But I, I'm not going to go into 21 expecting that that Flo has no chance of starting games this season. In fact, I probably wouldn't expect that by the end of the season he's at least out there a little bit. Is there a possibility that? Is Sewell the best linebacker they have? Or is Isaac above Sewell? Like, why are we what's what's to say Flo can't go in and share reps with Sewell? Is it because they they I know they play different positions, but right. I, I'm I'm wondering, I'm just spitballing here. Like, is it a case in which Flo can't run the you know the, the responsibilities that come with Sewell's spot, or is Sewell just by and far the best linebacker of the group and he has to play no matter what? Or could we see this trio rotate? Like Isaac's played both hey, spots. That's a good point. That's a fair point. Isaac has played both Mike and Will, and I think you could see that. Maybe that's maybe that's more of what it is. Is just a three man rotation, and all three guys, you know, based upon the opposition, they split reps. And, and maybe we do see Isaac like Matuati playing more Mike because of that. I also think like, gosh, Noah Sewell was the Pac-12 freshman defensive player of the year, led the team in tackles as a freshman. He only started, I think, six of those games, and, and the first game was kind of splitting reps, like. I think the, the ceiling there is really, really high too. And the floor is already high because we're already seeing some of it. So to a scenario where he's not playing a lot would be stunning to me. Cause I just kind of think he's like one of your stars on defense going forward, but maybe that's how good Justin flow is, is that not only does he take away snaps from Slade Matuati, but he takes them from Sewell. And that's kind of an interesting thought, Matt, in terms of rotating. And I wouldn't put it past the staff to do that. And like, heck, I wouldn't put it past the staff to say, Hey, is there, a guy on the outside that that uh, maybe we think is susceptible to someone like Flo or Isaac Slade coming over and playing a little too. Like I think they're going to try to play their best guys, and if it just is they have a log jam at one spot, like I'm not going to be surprised if they get creative in, in finding ways to get everybody out there. All right, let's wrap this up with these last two position groups. We're going to lump them into one question because they kind of they're, they're in the same room, if you will. Who are the second team corners? For this Oregon defense after starting uh, cornerbacks, Michael Wright and DJ James. I think we're assuming DJ James at corner. I think that's a fair assumption that that that's a hundred percent in line with what, what we saw in the spring game. And then the second part of that is who starts at the boundary safety spot, which is opposite Verone McKinley. Verone McKinley plays field. So they're looking for a starting safety at boundary. And we're also trying to figure out who are the two primary corner backups. And this is one, Eric, where I think for both spots, there are a whole bunch of different combinations you could roll with. Yeah, no, there are. There really are. And that's what makes it kind of tough. And then the other part that makes it tough with corners, we just didn't get to see a lot of them play all the time. I mean, we, we saw Jalen Davies and Dante Manning certainly in the spring game go out and, and play a lot. But we didn't. I haven't seen Triquez Bridges or DJ James play since the fall, and especially, I guess we saw Triquez briefly in the in the scrimmage that was open. But like, I, I we're kind of penciling Triquez Bridges as a guy in the two deep at corner right now, and at the same time, I'm kind of going like, is that is that a guarantee? Do we know that for sure? Like, how, how does that come together? And and then you know, the, the, there's two true freshmen who haven't enrolled yet. Um, what happens with Devonte Dickerson? What happens with Darren Barkins when those guys get on campus? How does that impact things? Um, you know, I just think there's a lot at corner aside from the top two guys or who we think the top two guys are. And again, like Matt said, 
I'm suggesting DJ James is a starter. Like he hasn't actually started the game in Oregon yet. So maybe that's premature, but based on what we heard and saw during you're, you're in the right line. I think he's, I think we can call him that, but the guys after him, there's a lot of guys. And then you're right. Safety is the same thing. Like Steve Stevens, the fourth started the spring game. And I think it was Jordan Happel was with the first team in the scrimmage. So that's already from one practice to another over a couple of weeks, a little bit of a shift there. And does that continue to take place? But then it's not just those two guys like Bennett Williams is here. Brian Addison is, 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 is practicing and, and making plays at safety. And we saw two true freshmen and Jeffrey boss and Damon David, at least look like players. And I don't know exactly where everybody fits. I think boss is probably more nickel than he is boundary, but there's a lot of talented young safeties on this team too. And so like, I think Steve Stevens, the fourth probably makes sense in my head of like, this was a really highly regarded safety. It's still a highest regarded safety signing in, in program history. And he's been in the program now for almost four years. Like he seems like a logical choice to fill that. But I also go like, you can't really discount one of these younger guys. And Jordan Happel's also like probably the most experienced player on this entire defense, you know, based upon his time at Boise state as well. I think Dante Manning is going to be your third corner. So when you have to play three or four guys, Manning, if, if, if one of your two guys gets hurt, this is a better way of explaining it. If one of your two guys that starts gets hurt, I think Dante Manning is your third guy. And he elevates into that starting lineup. And then after that, it's a battle for that fourth spot at corner. Is it TriQuest Bridges? Is it Jalen Davies? Uh, where does J.J. Greenfield fit into the mix? Um, Barkins? Uh, the freshman, um, the other freshman's name is escaping me. Four-star. Dickerson. Yeah, Dickerson, four-star guy. Um, does right. he get into the mix? So I, right now I feel pretty confident in Dante Manning being that that third corner. And for right now, I'm going to say Jalen Davies is, is your fourth guy. And it's now up to Jalen Davies to stay there and try and fend off a, a Triquez Bridges, a Greenfield, a Dickerson, or a Barkins. And can can they do it? Um, the other safety spot, who, who starts? I think Steve Stevens will probably open up as your starter at that spot. But I I think this might be a committee approach, Eric. We might, yeah. see, a, we might see a guy start five games and then someone else start four and – you've got two other guys to make up the last three or four games that Oregon plays in the regular season to, to start. And it, it might be a case in which it's okay. Who are we playing? Oh, we're playing Washington state. They're going to play a ton of guys. They're going to play a ton of receivers. They're going to throw the ball over the place. We need to stick with a guy that's good in coverage. And then you go to Stanford. Oh, we're playing a team that's not going to throw the ball a ton. Uh, they're going to, play two tight end sets, sometimes three. They're going to run the ball a bunch. Let's play the guy that's the best suited to stop the run right. and, got, and is maybe you know solid in, in pass coverage. I, I think that's what we're going to see at this safety spot. I think Stevens will probably be the, 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 the one, but this is one in which I think from week one to week 13, there'll be two oars next to the number one starter. So three guys will basically be listed as co-starters. Yeah, just kind of some responses to that. I probably agree long term with Stevens, and but that being kind of an open position competition, I just don't think we know enough there yet for me to be that confident. And I, I really like Steve Stevens. Like I, I've always kind of had a soft spot just for him, having you know gotten to know him over the years, and it seems like a really nice young man, and and frankly a really talented player. Like would be fun if he finally got a chance. I mean, I think maybe it's overlooked by by fans, but like Oregon signed 
Steve Stevens, Javon Holland, and Verone McKinley the third all in one cycle. And Stevens was the highest rated of the three guys. And the other two have then gone on and started. Javon's now in the NFL. She's gotten drafted in the second round. And Stevens still hasn't started a game yet. I think he may have started one last year, but still like still hasn't been a full-time starter yet. And he was brought in, thought to be the best of the three guys based on recruiting rankings. Um, so I still think the I like the upside there. And then at corner, I think you know, I I think we see the backup slightly differently, which is kind of the fun part of this, because I, I probably have Triquez maybe as my third guy, just based upon the fact that he got the first team run during the practice where Mikhail was out um, during the spring thing, but then he didn't play in the spring game. So I, I, and that's why it makes it hard because I want to compare Triquez to Dante and Jalen, but we don't have a lot of tape to know that. And, you know, and, and, and then I probably, you know, like I said, I probably would go like Triquez three, Dante four, Jalen five. And it sounds like you're going Dante three, Jalen four, Triquez five. I don't think anybody really has a great idea outside of those in the, in the position room right now, because we just don't have a whole lot to build off of. And we've heard positive things about everybody when asked about it, but the reality is Bridges didn't play in the spring game. And the other two guys, we didn't see play hardly at all. I don't think Manny played at all in the scrimmage. So it's like, it's really uneven right now trying to assess that. Um, which is what makes this so fun going into spring. Obviously, the upside's there with Manning as, as a former five-star. It's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audible's podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. Hit that like and subscribe button on YouTube. Uh, and make sure, most importantly, to go to duckterritory.com. Check out our work for the full story of questions Eric's got up on the site. You can read it there. And if you're not a VIP member, you can do so and become one for as low as $1 for your first month. So make sure to jump on that as well. Recruiting season is literally days away, weeks away. As June 1st, uh, the dead period is lifted. Official visits are going to happen and we will track it all on duckterritory.com. And until we do our next episode, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. You deserve the truth. The enemy is at our gates. The fight for humanity. I look at your faces. I do not see defeat. No! And I do not see surrender. Is far from over. You will not make that stand alone. We have something the enemy does not. We have heroes. Halo. New season now streaming exclusively on Paramount+.